This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. I hope for those of you who've listened before, you come back because... You're finding some ideas, some thoughts, and insights that you don't get anywhere else. A American patriot, a physician, a former naval officer who believes in this country, believes that the threat that we face is a Muslim one that needs a Muslim solution. No, not all Muslims are radicals, and not even all Muslims are Islamists politically, but all radical Islamists are Muslim, and it is a problem that we need to solve. And on Reform This, we're peeling the onion. Week to week, I bring you the um, ideas that uh, I believe need to be repaired, need uh, ultimately to be addressed by the Muslim community. And with that tough love, you and I will begin to venture down that road of reform. Now, there are many Muslims that uh, reject that. They're in denial of the need for reform. They're in denial of the need for us to revisit interpretations of our scripture that are all stuck in the 13th century, and in denial of the people, the theocrats that are in control of our community. This week, what I thought I would do is, uh, you know, first of all, congratulations uh, to Mr. Trump, now President Trump, who will hopefully lead our nation to better security, away from, as I discussed last week, that fear and paralysis that was the end, the legacy of what was in 2008 to be hope and change. President Obama left us with a vacuum, a vacuum of loss of American influence globally to basically have us become stifled, paralytic in the response to fear, ignorance, and negligence from our commander-in-chief who has avoided every conflict possible and allowed the vacuums in the Middle East and across the world to be filled by ideologues, Islamist ideologues that are equal and opposite reactions to military dictatorships, to Russian kleptocracy and the genocidal behaviors of military dictators like Assad, Bashar Assad. And now with a new Trump presidency, yes, we've had our differences with his technique, his verbiage, but now he is my president, and he is my commander-in-chief. We'll hold him accountable. We'll hold him accountable to our Constitution, to our values. But if we really really believe in that mantra, that belief that we are united. We will not let political correctness divide us. We will not let minority groups uh, to a fear of uh, security risks, to everything that plagues the quiet of what could be our democracy. We will come together. And I think whether conservative or liberal— whether never Trump or always Trump, uh, I hope that now on this this um, new day of a new president that uh, we give him 100%, 110% of our energy to make him successful because if he's successful, our country will be successful. If he fails, odds are we will also fail. So now with his presidency, it's interesting. They asked him uh, an interview in uh, London last week with the, the Sunday Times, I believe. They, they asked him, what would be your first 
foreign policy priority. And he said one word, ISIS. Well, that's great. Yep, that is, that's our priority, defeating ISIS. But that priority will not come to fruition by simply engaging generals in a military operation. That priority is going to have to be a multi-pronged operation that includes military fronts, global ideological fronts, and domestic empowerment of reformists against the Islamists that have been empowered in the past few years. It was fascinating that uh, Secretary Johnson uh, Jay Johnson released a list of the awardees of the CVE grants this week. It included the Muslim Public Affairs Council. It included those who drink the Kool-Aid of believing that we're fighting violent extremism. And that wasn't only an Obama mantra. That was the Bush era that developed this politically correct approach to what is and should have been countering violent Islamism, political Islam, the, the only conveyor belt that leads towards radicalization, which is the theocratic identity movement of the Islamic State. Now, President Trump told British media that his foreign policy would be, period, first priority, defeating ISIS. Well, I did an interview uh, uh, last week, and as I told you in my podcast, that this week I would address the details of that interview, because I think when I spoke to Al-Hurra, an Arabic station uh, uh, funded by the U.S. government uh, and uh, launched after the Iraq war, and primarily watched in Iraq, but actually throughout the Middle East, and it is the beginning that Nidus that nidus of public diplomacy. Yes, public diplomacy. That's what we should be doing more of. And, and, and for those of you who've listened before, you know how, how important I believe the information war is, how much it meant in the Cold War. And I believe, I hope, the Commission on Radical Islam or Radical Islamism that develops will ultimately face that. Well, Al-Hurra, had me on last week for a little over 10 minutes, and we talked about some overarching ideas about defeating radical Islam. So I think there's no better way to respond to the idea that President Trump now says that his priority will be full-stop ISIS. So I was asked on Al-Hurra about... After so many years in 63 country coalition in search of options to defeat ISIS and destroy ISIS from the roots, they asked me, well, what's happening? Why hasn't this worked? How could it be so difficult? And set aside the passive-aggressive nature of the Obama lead-from-behind proposition, set aside the, I believe, one of the primary obstacles, which is the fact that the Assad regime in Russia is only lukewarm in its confrontation directly militarily of ISIS, but rather is using ISIS as an excuse to bomb and pummel innocent neighborhoods of women and children in schools and hospitals through Aleppo, Damascus, Idlib, and across Syria. Set that aside right now. The bottom line is, is that ISIS as an entity, just like Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda is gone, have we defeated radical Islam because the whack-a-mole of Al-Qaeda was gone after 2007? Pretty much gone. Obviously, it didn't disappear, and now it's making a resurgence. And some say, in, in many ways, the Al-Qaeda of the Arabian Peninsula is back in, in ways stronger than ISIS. So Al-Qaeda went away and came back and is stronger and weaker. It's basically we're playing a whack-a-mole because the fonts of energy, of ideology that moves that identity movement is political Islam. It's the belief that these individuals, whether they come from prisons, whether they come from segregated neighborhoods uh, or ghettoization of Europe and, and or militant 
militancy of Wahhabism and jihadism out of mosques in the Middle East, whatever their source of deviation from mainstream society, culture, Islam, and even mainstream Islamism, if I may say. And I say mainstream there, I'm talking about the nonviolent Islamism that doesn't believe that the ends justifies the means, but tries to achieve the Islamic State and caliphate through the ballot box as a one-way operation, as we saw in Turkey with the AKP. But the Islamists have continued to morph and remorph, and ISIS could be defeated in the next six months. Yes, I believe if those 63 countries, as I told Al-Hurra this week, put their minds together, held Assad accountable on the ground to allowing forces to operate in Aleppo and Raqqa and other towns in which ISIS is teeming. If northern Iraq, if we hadn't withdrawn our troops, ISIS would not have had the stronghold and the funding of the oil sources and revenue of northern Iraq. It would not have had the funding that, by the way, there's a lot of evidence to show that Assad was buying oil from various ISIS interests in northern Syria. Just read Michael Weiss from the Daily Beast and others that know what's happening inside Syria. So, you cannot defeat ISIS, bottom line, without beginning to weaken and slowly destroy the Assad Ba'athist regime. The two are the yin and yang of one another, just like radical Islam in Saudi Arabia. Yes, Saudi Arabia and the king and their their monarchical theocracy was against Al-Qaeda and they were our allies in that war but time has shown that what I said and what we said at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy when we formed in 2003 and we said you know we're not against terrorism as an idea only we are also more significantly our mission is to defeat radical Islam or political Islam through the separation of mosque and state, advocating for liberty liberty through the separation of mosque and state. So you can only defeat al-Qaeda in Saudi Arabia if also the petro-Islam of the Saudi government is defeated. You can only defeat the Brotherhood in Egypt if the, if the Islam of the military dictatorship of Nasser Sadat, Mubarak, and now al-Sisi is also defeated. Al-Sisi may have declared himself as a reformer two years since his New Year's speech where he called for defeat of violent, radical ideas to al-Azhar. We see little change. In fact, he continues to enforce blasphemy laws, apostasy laws, various arms of that scalpel of sharia, that runs through the society. So, these governments hold that scalpel and tell Al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood and viral Islamists that they cannot hold the scalpel. Only the dictators, the corporate mafia of the Islamic governance of Assad, of King Salman, of al-Sisi can hold the scalpel of Sharia. So you cannot defeat ISIS. You might defeat them militarily and take back Raqqa to the military beasts of the Assad regime. And you'll get other radical Islamist beasts come up. Remember, the Assad regime is working hand-in-hand with the Shia radical Islamists of Hezbollah and the Iranian Republican Guard. Russia has been allowing Sunni jihadists to come in to fuel the battles happening inside Syria. So, if ISIS is a priority, your vision in the Middle East, I hope, is one in which the Arab awakening is seen as an opportunity. Maybe things may get worse first, but a long-term better. When we come back, let's continue. What should be and how should the effectuation of a strategy against ISIS materialize in the first few weeks and months of a Trump of the Trump administration. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. It's great to be you. Thank you for listening. I hope uh, you begin to get some deeper insight into the struggles within the Muslim consciousness. Uh, I think for, for Muslims, I hope it's a wake-up call to you to realize all the work we have to do and the unique responsibility we have as Americans living in this laboratory, this greatest, I believe, freest country on the planet that gives us the blessings to be able to address those ideas, those conflicts without the subjugation of the boots of a military regime that they have in the Middle East. And to non-Muslims, thank you for joining us in this battle. I think you understanding what's at stake will help you in picking the right sides uh, within the House of Islam and to understanding all the work that needs to be done generationally and nationally. We were talking about uh, some of uh, the questions I was asked in this interview in Al Hurra, and uh, that um, you know the priority for the Trump administration is going to be ISIS. Well, I have to tell you, it worries me deeply when I hear the um, the same verbiage about getting rid of ISIS coming from Ru- from Russia and also from Assad. So the Assad regime, a genocidal regime that has killed over 90% of those killed in this war as simply punishment of the Syrian people for having the temerity to want to be free. The Assad regime says they want to get ISIS, and that's their priority. Russia and Putin, who's hand-in-hand with the genocidal Assad, and Iran, who's anti-Western and anti-Israel, also says their priority is to end ISIS, the Sunni monster that the Shia Islamists will defeat. So they say the same thing. So I hope that when the Trump administration sends our troops in battle against ISIS, that it'll be much more than simply saying the same thing that tyrants say, but rather beginning to have the defeat of ISIS become the continuation of the Arab awakening. No, it is not our job to liberate Syria. That's the Syrians' job. But it is our job to give them the best chance, that last best chance, that last best chance of this city on a hill. So I hope... Ultimately, the defeat of ISIS is in a bigger, grander strategy of the defeat of political Islam and the allies of political Islam, which includes the Assad regime, which includes Russia, which includes the petro-Islamic states, which includes the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. And at the end of the day, there needs to be a greater strategy for the defeat of ISIS. Because if we don't only defeat ISIS, but rather we need to defeat the fonts of ideologies that create them, or else in two, three years there'll be more radicals. ISIS thrives in chaos, thrives in an eschatology of bringing an end-of-times battle. That's how they recruit. That's how they create anarchy and confusion among the planet and feed into the mindset of those who want to die for Islam or their interpretation of Islam. So that strategy needs to involve 
advocacy, not military advocacy, but social media, internet, ideological warfare, public diplomacy, information diplomacy, in which we begin to mobilize an information operation of defeating theocratic Islam and embracing and working with reformists. We've not been doing that, so the spread of ISIS's ideology has reached from San Bernardino to Columbus to Paris to Berlin to Turkey. They demonize the West. They demonize anyone who works, whether it's for democracy or against them. They divide the world into the land of Islam and the land of war. That's why ISIS in their little relatively small area of the Muslim world calls it a caliphate because that's how they mobilize their their radicalization is by telling the Muslims that they are the land of Islam and everywhere else is the land of war. Dabek, the name of their magazine for a while, was the center of that end of times caliphate. And the creators of Daesh or ISIS is the Wahhabi fundamentalism. Yes, the judges of Saudi Arabia might be more educated, more, you know, the, 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 that, that typical type of clerical demeanor. But at the end of the day, they pass judgments for beheadings. They pass judgments for floggings. Women are treated as third, fourth-class citizens in which crimes of honor abuse are let off with impunity. That is where Daesh gets its ideas. I was asked in the interview, what, what ideas need reform? Well, clearly, the concept of the caliphate. It can't be mollified. It has to be ended. The concept of the Islamic State in general cannot be mollified. No, Shadi Hamid, at Brookings in Qatar, there is no political Islamic exceptionalism. Yes, as a faith, I personally believe, just as every believer believes in their personal faith between them and God, but socially, democratically, no. American exceptionalism, democratic, secular, liberal exceptionalism of the West, I believe is the same ideas that are in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And that is the exceptionalism I think every Muslim, every non-Muslim in the Arab world and currently Muslim-majority world should be debated and given an opportunity in those countries that they have not had because of the dictatorships. Concept of takfir needs to be defeated. The concept of blasphemy laws and limitation of free speech. Islam as an, is an idea. It does not have rights. It's an idea. Human beings have rights. So you can criticize and even offend the ideas of Islam because it's not human. It's God's religion to me as a Muslim, just as Christianity is God's religion and Judaism is God's religion. But those are ideas. And the West recognizes that no, no idea deserves protection from offense. Those are the ideas that need reform. So the question is, is they then asked me at the end of the interview, what were my observations regarding Arabic countries and their efforts against Islamic extremism? It's pretty obvious. They're only treating the symptom. They're only treating terrorism because they're in denial. They are like the alcoholic trying to treat drunk driving. They pretend they're the firefighters when in fact, from the other hand, they're the arsonists. The Islamist mentality of supremacism of the Islamic State is what they feed into their countries as the Saudis tell their countries that they are the custodians of the Holy Mosque. No, they aren't anywhere in our religion known to be the custodians of the Holy Mosque. That's the people's mosque. Saudi Arabian oil should belong to their people, not to their kleptocratic, corrupt mafia of a government. No, they are not the victims of Al-Qaeda. 
they are just a more sophisticated global lobbying operation with influence in global stock exchanges that makes them more difficult to discern as they fund operations at Georgetown and Harvard and interfaith dialogues that deceive the West into believing they're slowly trying to reform when in fact you can't defeat ISIS you can't defeat the viral spread of their ideas without teaching Muslims and this is what I want to leave you with in this segment until we as Muslims teach our kids that the only thing worth dying for is the state a state like America a United States like America, a state like France, Germany, secular liberal states that believe in democracy and reject theocracy. Until we teach our kids that that's what protects our rights as human beings and the religion of God needs no protection, that the religion of God should be allowed to exist in a laboratory of freedom so that people are free to reject it or accept it and God can judge whether we accept it or reject it. Yes, many of our laws and discussions are infused with our spiritual beliefs, but it should not be done in the name of that religion collectively because otherwise that marginalizes every other human being. That's the only way to counter ISIS, is to begin to teach and engage Muslims that their scalpel of sharia that I mentioned before is unnecessary. It needs to be buried that the discussion, the legal instrument of our society should be reason, should be rational thinking, critical thinking, should not be tribalism, but individual thought and creativity that may include such blasphemous things as legalizing alcohol, legalizing bathing suits, doing things that we as some conservative Muslims may believe to be against our religion, but yet God gives us the freedom, government gives us the freedom to decide what we do practice and what we don't. Regimes like the Assad regime, the Salman regime in Saudi Arabia, the Khamenei theocracy, those are not laboratories in which reform will ever happen. The Arab awakening was an opportunity in which that was finally going to change, and it didn't. Some places Tunisia is beginning to succeed. Some places like Indonesia are beginning to worsen. We see in Aceh now Sharia is, is, is spreading like wildfire in a country that is basically at its core constitution. Indonesia is one of the only Muslim secular states in the world. And yet political Islam is thriving and spreading. The only Christian governor of a area in Indonesia is now on trial for blasphemy. And we've talked about this on my podcast. But kleptocratic, autocratic regimes like Putin in Russia, theocrats like Khamenei in Iran, they're not going to bring solutions. They want to stay in power. So... When we talk about getting rid of ISIS, we should also say that we hope that it will bring forth the spring of freedom. I'm not under any illusions. Obviously, Syria now is a has been beaten back even hundreds of more years than it was before the, the revolution started. But there were many revolutions in Europe until they finally gave way to democracy. And then they set back again to fascism in World War One and then Two, And then the free world came to win. So these back and forths will happen. But we need to talk about not only what we're against, which is that we are going to defeat ISIS. I'm sure the military that President Trump engages will get the job done under the leadership of General Mattis and our commander-in-chief. But we also have to talk about what we're for. We cannot be for more dictatorship. We cannot be for more theocracy or petro-Islam. And I hope a Secretary Tillerson, if he does get confirmed, abandons his friendships in Qatar and Saudi Arabia that Exxon 
helped and rather begins. Yes, he might use those friendships diplomatically, but we begin to hold them accountable and advocate for the release of prisoners of conscience there and the movements of reform and liberty. That's what should be coming out of the lips daily from the White House, and I hope does happen in a Trump administration. This is Udi Jaster on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jester. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's great to be with you. Thanks for staying with me this week. And we have a lot to talk about. And with the uh, advent now of a new administration in Washington, uh, some of the legislation that um, had been attempted to be passed in the past uh, will uh, be resurrected and will likely pass and be signed. One of those that is making the left apoplectic is Ted Cruz's bill on designating the Muslim Brotherhood a foreign terrorist organization. Now, it's just fascinating to see all of the different fronts in which the Brotherhood's allies, which are huge, huge, it includes many of those same governments that uh, declare them to be a terrorist organization, be it Dubai, Saudi Arabia, any of the uh, Gulf states that domestically within their countries call them a terrorist group in order to prevent the viralization of the theocratic ideas that they disseminate in order to maintain the bureaucratic, autocratic control of their society with the same opium of political Islam and the Sharia state that the Brotherhood believes in, but the Brotherhood believes it in a viral populist sense. The Sharia state of the Salafis of Abdul Wahab's uh, progeny in Saudi Arabia, petro-Islamic Sharia states of Dubai, Qatar, and the UAE in general, these states really have the same type of Sharia that they believe in, but... They're not viral. They're more able to be controlled. They're more corporate and can be black and white in their interpretations and convincing the world, well, we behead only these types of Muslims. We have an organized Sharia court that has balance of powers. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's the same drunken theocracy, but they make it appear more stable and more Islamic, or actually to me, un-Islamic, but Islamic because they wear the robes and hire the judges and keep them organized versus the viral radical ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood. But what I wanted to talk to you about, and I think we should think about together here, is, is the Muslim Brotherhood a terror group? You have the Huffington Post writing that in multiple different pieces, that the attempt to make the Muslim Brotherhood out to be a terror group is a camouflage for the targeting of all Muslim Americans, for the targeting of American Americans of the Muslim faith in mosques and elsewhere. And then they go on to talk about what theocracies do and how they target the Muslim Brotherhood and how Egypt elected the Muslim Brotherhood in a democratic election and then they were subsequently removed. Interestingly, they're avoiding the Tunisia example. Interestingly, they avoid the Turkish AKP, which is the Muslim Brotherhood. 
You know, I've been torn publicly on this. I think I'm evolving in my beliefs on this. And here's why it's not as black and white for me. In the end, let me cut to the chase, though, and tell you that I do believe the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood is a terror organization. Any organization that has, as its motto, jihad is the way and to die in the cause of Allah is the most noble thing to do. That's a paraphrase of their motto at the bottom line is, is that their motto, their mission statement of their political party is a militant terroristic call to action to die for God in their jihad. That's the Egyptian Brotherhood. Here's the needle we need to thread. And again, I've come to an evolution where initially I was against it because I think that we need to compare it to the Communist Party in America. And in the Cold War, the fact that obviously the Soviets were our sworn enemy. Compare it to the Nazi Party in America and in World War II, we went to war against the Nazis. And yes, I think that's a good comparison because during World War II, obviously any Nazi sympathizers were considered enemies of the state. But then we moved into a Cold War. And when it comes to the Brotherhood, we are in a hot and cold war. And I think this is why it took some time for me to congeal in my mind what our approach should be. And I think we should make an example out of the Egyptian Brotherhood. But we have to be careful not to conflate it with Harikat Islamiyyah around the world. And what does that mean in Arabic? Harikat Islamiyyah are the movements of Islamic movements. Or basically how you define Islamism or political Islam or any political party that is Islamist. Ism, Islamism is the belief that a political party should unite under the banner of a platform that enacts and enforces its interpretation of Sharia or Islamic law or Islamic jurisprudence. So, Jamaat Islamiyyah in Pakistan or the Egyptian Jamaat Islamiyyah, the Islamic movements, the Salafi parties of Egypt, Saudi Arabia or elsewhere. Those are all Islamic movements. And you say Ikhwan and Muslimin, yes, it's been branded by their father four founding fathers, uh, Sayyid Qutb inspirationally, and then Hassan al-Banna practically as the head of the party, and then the supreme leader of the party that's evolved, which is Muhammad Badi. Now, these party leaders have seen their party give rise in Egypt to global multiple manifestations that are all, for the most part, much of which are terror groups. Hamas is a harikat, is a, is a movement in the Palestinian areas that is a terrorist group, and America designates it a terrorist group. Our government, our State Department, designates it a terrorist group because it does not condemn the use of any means necessary to attack innocents. It does not condemn the fact that it actually designates as Gnucci the head of the Anahda, again, Muslim Brotherhood Party in Tunisia, has said many times that every Israeli citizen, women, children, are all soldiers, and thus saying that they're all open to being killed. This is a definition of a terrorist organization. So, listen, how do we define terrorist groups. The problem in the quagmire with blanketly saying globally the Muslim Brotherhood is a terror group is twofold. Number one, the London offices of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Western offices, there are branches and believers that have formed nonviolent manifestations. Even inside Egypt, the party at the time, five years or so ago, did eschew terrorism and violence. Now, do we believe that, or is that some form of lying or taqiyah, as is known in the some of the Sunni and Shia, especially interpretations of how to dissimulate your actual presentation of what you are? I do think that 
at the end of the day, an example must be made of them. I do believe that after almost 100 years, enough is enough. And we know what the Brotherhood is. They are a terrorist group, and we should designate them that. But let's not be fooled. They are the great dissimulators of Islamism. You call and make the terrorist group Muslim Brotherhood identify it as that, and sure enough, you will not find any groups labeled Muslim Brotherhood in the West anymore. They will call themselves Muslim Democrats. They will call themselves something else. And sure enough, as you pressure them by name, we see in Tunisia now the Anahda, the Muslim Brotherhood of Tunisia led by Ghanouchi, initially won the election after the king was deposed. And then within two years, in December 31st, 2014, they lost an election. It didn't need a coup like the Egyptian deep state military did. It simply lost an election because the people of Tunisia realized what theocracy was, realized how radical Nahda was, and figured out how to unite the non-Islamist forces in order to marginalize the Islamist ones. And that's the problem mostly in Muslim-majority countries is that the reason the Islamists and the Salafists, who are more fundamentalist but still Sharia state movements, the reason they win elections is the rest of the 60-70% of the nation divide themselves into 30-40-50 parties, and thus they divide their votes. Tunisia realized how to unite better, and thus defeated a Nahda. Now, is a Nahda a terrorist party, a terrorist organization. If we identify the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood as an FTO, does that mean that Nahda should be? Does that mean the AKP of Turkey is? So these are questions we need to deal with, and I think in Cruz's legislation, I've read most of it, but I might have missed some, I hope that it is clear that we're simply talking about the Egyptian formulation, the founding fathers of the Muslim Brotherhood, and that is an FDO like Hamas is in the Palestinian areas. That, I think, would set an example, would set a standard. Now, what we have to do is separate us as believers in freedom from Saudis, Qataris, not Qatar, I'm sorry, Qatar is a central uh, font of the Muslim Brotherhood, but uh, the... Uh, um, Emirates, who've declared the Brotherhood a terrorist party. What makes their designation different from ours? And I think, ultimately, those petro-Islamists don't allow free expression, don't realize that the way to defeat Islamist parties is by exposing them to the antiseptic of sunlight. And I hope we make it clear to the left that it's not about targeting ideas that we find deplorable. It's about targeting foreign terrorist organizations that seek to destroy us, Western democracies. It's about targeting those that believe any means necessary. So in Brandenburg versus Ohio, our Supreme Court determined that the Ku Klux Klan, one of the most hateful organizations in America, in our history, had a right to burn crosses, do what they wanted, as hateful as it may be, as long as they didn't openly public and advocate, publicly advocate for the violence against individual human beings and targeting imminent violence against humans and our citizens. I think that's an important distinction, and the Brotherhood might claim to eschew that, but their organization has proven ideologically, even from its motto, it did not change its jihadist motto. And until it does so, they are a terrorist organization, just like Al-Shabaab in Somalia, just like Al-Qaeda that declared war many times. And if you listen to the fonts of the Muslim Brotherhood, be it Sheikh Kardawi out of Qatar, he might have some so-called moderate claims here or there, but at the end of the day, he has through the depth of his anti-Semitism and anti-Westernism, has condoned terror against American 
soldiers, terror against our citizens, terror against Israelis, and that makes him a supporter of a terror organization. This is Udi Jasser, and we'll be right back on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Stupid internet stuff. Huh, click here for free. Oh, I got a virus. Smart internet stuff. So there's so many fails in that one statement. It shows you so much about the attitude of Tim Kaine and his political ideology, number one. So if you really believed Rex Tillerson editorialized, which he did not, you believe two wrongs makes a right, Senator? Comrade, two wrongs make a right? Because that's pretty much the idea. Or one of the staples of communism. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. This is our last segment. This week we've covered a lot of territory. In the first few segments we talked about what welcoming the uh, new president, uh, President Donald Trump, and wishing him the greatest blessings and success So, because his success will be our success. We talked about his foreign policy priority, as he articulated in one word, ISIS, or four words, as the acronym would bear out, and what that strategy, as complicated, as simple as it may appear to him and his generals, as complicated as it is in reality. And last, I thought we would dive and take a deep dive into, is the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization, and should the United States designate it as such? So let's finish that discussion this week. Is the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist group? I believe it is. I don't care how big it is. The bottom line is is it is a terror organization. Its ideology is militant. Its means of getting there is typically corrupt and immoral. It is supremacist in its interpretations of Islam. And as we saw with uh, uh, Morsi in Egypt... When they get into power, it's a one-way street. And the AKP in Turkey, as President Erdogan said, democracy is a train. You get on it as you can. You take the train to where you need to go and you get off, quote-unquote. That's the definition of a terror organization. Even democracy is a tool to be used as a means to an end. It's not about equality of all. They are misogynist in their interpretation. There are no women at all represented in most brotherhood organizations in the Middle East and in the West. They are used as simply window dressing amongst Muslim brothers in America and the West. Now, in America, they've been hidden. And I think this is one of the issues we need to deal with is that the Muslim Brotherhood is an ideology. You've got the grandson of the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, Tariq Ramadan, who's a professor and in uh, in Europe has had uh, perches from Oxford, from Cambridge, Switzerland, worked with the, the British government, the French, and others. And yet, as Carolyn Forrest describes very well in her great book, I'd recommend to you, Brother Tarek, she talks about his skill in dissimulation, on the one hand espousing support, basically sympathy for acts of terror completed completed by Palestinians against innocent Israelis, women and children, and on the other hand, articulating in his books reform descriptions of a European modernized interpretations of Islam for Muslims, that's European in its nature. So it's very complicated in its web of ideas and membership organizations. But at the end of the day, it's not only what they say, but what they don't say and what who they do not attack. The Muslim Brotherhood, by virtue of the silence of most of the Muslim leaders, I mean, if you look at the letter to Baghdadi, I talked in one of my podcasts to you, 
many episodes ago about how that letter to Baghdadi was basically signed by most of the Muslim Brother leaders in the West, in Europe, and America, that was a scolding of Baghdadi for declaring jihad, for declaring a caliphate and a Sharia state in a very extreme way, and them telling him that a caliphate was necessary, but he was doing it wrong. He wasn't qualified. Jihad was part of Islam, but he was doing it wrong and wasn't qualified. And therefore showing that they are supremacists, but only their more camouflaged supremacy is to be accepted versus Baghdadi's in-your-face militant terror state was not to be accepted. And the Brotherhood after 9-11 got very upset with its offshoot, Al-Qaeda, for outing their global interest in creating chaos and anarchy when the Brotherhood wanted to use Western means and nation-states to pit them against the dictators that were also their threat. So, strategically, I think the legislation of declaring the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood a terror group is a great message and appropriate. Long term, I hope we don't get mired down in pushing underground the ideas of the Muslim Brotherhood, because that won't work. Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, uh, all of these theocracies have proven that when you push underground ideas that are bad, they get worse and they flourish. The AKP came to power in Turkey because the secular Ataturk, Turkish military, did not tolerate and did not engage and debate and defeat the Islamist theocrats of the AKP, but rather pushed them underground and made them into victims. And now they're realizing that the AKP is a one-way street and now has taken over Turkey, and it's going to be hard to wrest it from within in a democratic way. So in the United States, I hope we understand that just like the Communist Party in the Cold War, they're going to rename themselves. And in Tunisia, they're doing that. They suffered that defeat I mentioned to you. And Nahda now has beginning to publicly, and they wrote a piece, uh, Ganucci wrote one in Foreign Policy last year, and they're starting to spread all these ideas that, well, maybe we need to revisit Islamist movements or in Arabic, Harikat Islamiyya, and really deal more with Muslim democracy. You read that, you go, oh, wait, maybe maybe they're getting the problem with theocracy. But then you realize that it's all just camouflage. Because they would not, if you want to know and expose the depths of the hypocrisy and deception, the grand deception, as Steve Emerson calls it, if you want to expose it, read our declaration, two pages, and ask them if they'll sign it. If they openly reject the caliphate, that's hard to dismiss as, a, as not a conversion against Islamism into more secular, modern, liberal, democratic Islam. If they condemn blasphemy laws and say that there is no criticism of Islam that should, not be, that should be outlawed, then they're liberal Democrats. If they say that the Sharia should not be what the Islamic, what the state's law should be called, but rather it should be the state's law based in reason and argued by Muslims or non-Muslims alike the same, then we should listen to them. If they say the president, the head of the party, the ruling commission or committee of the party does not need to be Muslim, then you should listen to them. If they talk about the equality of men and women, of the equality of all those Muslim, non-Muslim, under God in their country, in their constitution, then we should listen to them. If they condemn and end jihad, which is still the mantra of the Muslim Brotherhood, their motto, then we should listen to them. So these are the things that they're, the, the Muslim Brotherhood did not do. And it makes them a terrorist organization. Now, when they do that in America, remember the Muslim Brotherhood, as the Chicago Tribune in their analysis 
of 2004, written by a Muslim, by the way, who had gone uh, um, undercover in Bridgeview Mosque and in other Muslim American society chapters. That's a 35-chapter organization, which is thought to basically be the nervous system of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. And how do you know that? They don't call themselves the Muslim Brotherhood, but they have programs that are, oh, very much mirror what the Brotherhood was doing in Egypt. And they have a revolving door with the imams from Egypt that teach their mosques, their Quranic centers of the Muslim American society. We have uh, many examples from Arizona to Chicago and elsewhere. And as the Chicago Tribune piece laid out in their piece entitled The Secretive Network of the Muslim Brotherhood in America, it lays out that they give bayat, which is a allegiance. They have programs called tarbiyah, or how to raise a future Muslim brother. And the Islamic Circle of North America is another now, that's Indo-Pakistani organization, but it uses the ideology and the teachings of not only Hassan al-Banna, but Maududi. And it was known that Maududi got a lot of his doctrine for the Jamaat Islamiyah, the Islamic party from the Brotherhood. So, should we then declare Jamaat Islamiyah offshoots as terrorist organizations? So, I think we have to be careful. There are many parties that believe things that are anathema to our constitution and are threats to our democracy, from the Nazis to the communists. And I would even say the American Socialist Party, obviously, is incompatible with capitalism, freedom, and our constitution. But yet, they don't advocate terror or violence, so we keep them legal so that we can monitor them better, and that's what free speech is all about. And I think we have to separate between the Brotherhood in Egypt and Brotherhood-like or what I call Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups in America. And we need to make it clear if this legislation passed that there's a firewall between targeting any Islamist groups in any effort to shut them down. And I would say again, we should make it clear that we would never shut down mosques unless they become places of arms violence and advocacy for imminent violence. The French shut down a number of mosques after the Paris attacks last year, and three of them had arms in them, so I supported that, but the other eight did not. Were they part of the networks? They might have had terrorists coming in and out, and yes, that should have been part of the monitoring and targeting is the individuals, but the organizations, just like supremacist groups and international networking espionage organizations. They will infiltrate various government and non-governmental organizations, but we don't do our country a security service by shutting them down unless they are organizations that advocate violence. And if you want to defeat bad ideas, you do it through good ideas. If you want to defeat Islamists, yes, we should have programs that counter violent Islamism ideologically, but only shut down terror groups that advocate terror. That's what I hope we do into this administration. Yes, I support ultimately an organ a legislation to call the Egyptian Brotherhood a terrorist group, but I do believe that it is important to make it clear that we will defeat the Islamists of the legacy groups of the Brotherhood and of the Wahhabis. I mean, last point to make here is that the font, the central, central cancer cell of the Muslim Brotherhood ideology is not only Hassan al-Banna and Sayyid Qutb, but Wahhabism. The Wahhabi project of Petro-Islam is an extremist militant ideology of Ibn Abdul Wahhab that rejected the viral political movements of the Brotherhood and, and, and well, the Brotherhood didn't exist when he came up, but of these political Islamic movements. So therefore, this antagonism, the internecine battle within the Islamic State is irrelevant because both are, are toxic to democracy and freedom and the values that we hold dear as Americans. And the way to defeat them is to work with Muslims that will defeat those ideas and modernize them. 
it will not defeat them to try to suppress Islamist ideas. Yes, groups like Hamas, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Egyptian Brotherhood are terrorist groups. But the vast majority of Islamist groups, that could be up to 20-30% of Muslims globally, you do the math when it's 1.6 billion, you're not going to defeat an ideology of political Islamic supremacism by making them into terrorist groups. You defeat it by engaging change from within in that civil war of ideas that I hope is something we fuel and we've started in the Muslim reform movement. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me this week on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.